everyone else on the climbing frame, I was inside frosting grapes. Hello and welcome to Root and Bone, the podcast where we find chefs, cooks, critics, writers and anyone else we'd like to meet from the UK's food culture and persuade them to invite us over for a meal. We ask for that meal to be one that really means something to them and while they cook it, we talk about food, about life, about anything else they feel like. And so welcome back to season two. We're so happy to be back. We've been allowed back into kitchens at last and it is a real joy to be meeting new people, talking about food, getting to know another stellar cast of the most interesting food folk we can find in the UK. And of course, getting to taste new dishes again. Not being able to do a podcast is probably the least damaging thing to happen to anyone during the pandemic, but we have really missed it. So to make up for our absence, we've got some real treats lined up for this second season. Starting with this week's guest, the awesome Anna Jones, whose writing and recipes make one of the most tempting cases for a vegetarian and vegan diet ever committed to paper. Her latest book, One, is a chart-topping bestseller, and she can count Yotamoto Lengi, Jamie Oliver, Sophie Dahl, and hundreds of thousands of others in her fan base. So join us as Anna cooks up a feast of seasonal food, sings the praises of pickled chilies, and makes an informed guess as to what Stanley Tucci might really smell like. Thank you very much for having us and thank you for welcoming us into your home for the Root and Bone podcast. So I guess the first question that we always ask is, uh, what are we having? What are we having? We are having a couple of different things. Um, Because we're kind of in sort of an end of summer situation. It's okay to say that and talk about where we are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So we're currently right in the kind of middle of September. Yeah, yeah. And we had what? was, you know, as is always announced in England, the last sunny day of the year. Um, so that apparently was yesterday, but it's, it's pretty nice outside today. So anyway, we're doing some end of summer stuff with tomatoes. We've got, so I've got some tomatoes in the oven, which I actually did before you got here because they take a while. Okay. It's almost like a sort of tomato confit situation, like half roasted, half confit, lots of garlic, lots of tomatoes coriander seeds, we're going to have that with some yogurt and bread. Ooh. So a really good thing for the kind of, you know, those sort of really ripe end of summer tomatoes. The glut, a glut yeah, exactly. recipe. Yeah, a glut yeah. recipe. Um, and then we're going to do just something really quick with corn, a really quick corn salad with pickled chilies, which are one of my favourite little store cupboard things, and okay. some shallots, lime, lots of freshness, but really simple, easy, easy stuff. Awesome. No souffles, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, we should pack up and leave then. Uh, <laughs> souffle is normally the minimum entry requirement for this podcast conversation. Let me just get you a bowl out. Can you just de-husk these yeah, guys? Okay, so I'm, we've got four fresh corn cobs going on here, which I'm going to take the spindly bits off. Yeah, it's kind of... The last of the corn, really, isn't it, at okay. the moment? So. And where did this come from? That actually was Tesco. just. It was yeah. It's from um, yeah. I just got it from Morrison's. No, it's um just from my local greengrocer. Okay. And I would like to kind of ask you about the very beginning of all of this. Yeah. So I think any anyone that kind of knows your name has done any sort of basic googling will know that you started ostensibly you started um, as an apprentice at fifteen. Yeah. How old were you when that happened? I was 24, which is now 
quite a few years ago. And um, what had you been doing before that? What made you sort so, of show up at, uh, want to show up at 15? Were you into food already? Or? I was really, I was into food already. So I, I've always been into food. I kind of came from a family that really values food, but there wasn't really much kind of, um, just chopping the end of a corn off, there wasn't much, um, you know, my mum didn't love cooking. Yeah. So whilst I, you know, food was always valued, we ate out in really interesting places, we travelled a lot and, you know, food was always part of the conversation. It wasn't like I was sort of passed down this kind of culinary sort of heritage. Yeah. Um, and so I think because my mum wasn't mad on cooking, I think I kind of like almost like took on that myself at home a bit. Um, I just really loved cooking. You know, it started as it does with all kids with kind of cupcakes and all the basic things. But then it's sort of, I think for most kids, it kind of sort of stops yeah. there um, with the easy things. But then I was really interesting and I interested and I really wanted to like make the family dinners and, you know, cook. From what age were you cooking for the family then? Young, like probably like nine or ten, you know. And okay, my, yeah, so, 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 that's, so that's really into it. Yeah, really, really into it. And, you know, it was, I was the sort of, I was inside. I remember lots of afternoons being inside and like, you know, trying to make like lemon mousse mm. and all these like really weird 80s. Is that your friend? Your, your friends situations. are like, do you want to, Anna, do you want to come out to play? Literally, and you're like, my... you know what? I'm sorry, this, um, I can't get the, I can't get the, this vanilla pod straight yeah, properly. I'll literally. Be I have a very vivid memory of my sister playing outside with some of our mates and um, and me inside frosting grapes. Do you know what frosting <laughs> a grape is? It's no. literally like, it's like the most 80s thing you can ever do. Um, uh, it's basically, it used, they were like used to like top desserts and stuff. Oh, did you, you dip it in icing sugar? So you dip it in sugar. egg white oh. and then in granulated sugar. And it's like the grape has like a sort of frosted, it's what people do to rose petals now. To like right, right, right. And, and that so, kind of thing. Okay, so, um, oh, right. And that for is, some reason, like, quite in, in my restaurant, <laughs> there was frosted grapes. So I was like, everyone else on the climbing frame, I was inside frosting grapes. So, you know, yeah. there was definitely a kind of, there was definitely like a serious commitment yeah. to, yeah. Um, so anyway, these corn kernels, I just want them to get like a bit of char right. and a bit of They're kind of steaming as well though, right? Yeah, they're kind of steaming as well because possibly this pan is a little smaller than it should be. But, but there's you know. a, there, so now this lovely kitchen has got that really sweet, almost fairgroundy, popcorn-y yeah. toasted corn smell yeah. going on, which is lovely. Yeah. And then we're just starting to get a little bit of char on these kernels. Yeah, they're too, getting right? a little bit, aren't they? But yeah. something's slightly sticking to the bottom of this pan. Um, that, so how long did you cook then before you decided, or you made the transition into being a stylist? Well, I cooked, so, so the stylist thing was just a kind of, it was just a kind of organic sort of uh, development really, because I was cooking for Jamie you know, I, I trained with him, with Jamie Oliver, uh -huh. and then I cooked in the restaurant. And then his media business was kind of exploding at that time. It was right. just after he'd done, uh, well, it was just before he did all the school dinner stuff. Yeah. And I was really interested in cooking. I knew I was really interested in kind of writing as well. So I kind of sort of made myself very, like, I just, you know, said, can I come and help? Can I right. come and see what's going on? Yeah. Um, and it was a small team at the time. I think four people work for him now. He's got apparently an entire street. Yeah. Um, and um, 
So I then just moved over to that side of the business and the kind of area that he needed help with was, you know, helping this wonderful woman, Ginny, who still works for Jamie with the kind of testing, development, food styling shoots. And was it for the books or was it for TV or was it it for all of it? It was for everything. Right, right, right. And so it was really, it was, you know, it was a money couldn't buy education in in food, in the media, in how to communicate around food and kind of like the social aspects of food because the guy has so much going on, you know, he's doing kind of like, he's got a meeting with, you know, the education secretary and then the next minute he's got a meeting about some pots and pans and the next minute he's, yeah. you know... He's got a cover sheet he, for, the, yeah, for the mirror he, he's, weekend. Exactly, the, yeah. he's got like Letterman doing a segment for Letterman, whatever. It, it, so it was like, it was high pace, it was really fun. You are chopping up. I'm chopping up some little red chilies. These, so usually I just buy like pickled red chilies. They didn't have them in the shop. So I've got these kind of crazy ones that look like a teardrop, essentially. Mm, They taste a bit Um, like pepper juice. Yeah, they're a bit like the pepper juice peppers. Um, But they're basically just like sweet pickled chili peppers. Um, Like much more kind of on the sweeter end than than on the the pickly end. There's no bite. And you know what? I'm a bit disappointed because I wanted them to be a bit more pickly and a bit more heat. So we might might balance that out in a bit with some chili chili or something else. But I can't Um, describe just exactly how vibrant the red of these things is. That's redder than a sort of ripe cherry tomato. Yeah, they are a crazy colour, aren't they? And these, the the, the pickled red chilies, I love as a kind of store cupboard thing because I love a a kind of condiment or a, a, you know, or a pickle or something that adds like a few different flavour profiles because I feel like that is a really quick way of, Mm. you know, basically taking something which is really simple like some charred corn or even you can do the salad with raw corn and then you add one thing and all of a sudden you've got like three of the flavour profiles kind of ticked off. Yeah, can I get my my, uh, salt, my acid and my heat out of one thing and then I'll just put some fat on it and we're good to go. Exactly, and I feel like that is, you know, it's sort of... I guess some people would perceive it as lazy cooking, but in, in, in my mind, I feel like it's really smart cooking because it's, you know, it's basically using something that can sit in your fridge, that can be there, that can be kind of ambient, and you can get it out, and it has lots and lots of different uses, you know, like harissa or miso, yeah, or those things which you know, you know, you've got a couple of simple ingredients and they're actually going to bring so much to kind of the flavour picture and the party that it adds a lot. Anyway, these do that for me. Okay, so, so in here... Oh, come on. So look at this. Let me let me try and do this. So this is uh, <laughs> what I would describe as a sort of elongated metal tureen. <laughs> and this has got basically your kind of... Well, frankly, this looks like a Sunday supplement photograph <laughs> of what roasted tomatoes should look like. So we've got really big, fat tomato halves of orange and red tomatoes, some quarter chunks of like pale green tomatoes, what looks like two whole heads of garlic that have been cut mm-hmm. in half and roasted, um, some cherry tomatoes, and it's all in oil and what's the kind of... Uh, what coriander are the, seeds. Coriander seeds. And how yeah. long has this been confined for? It's been in there for about two, about two hours. Yeah, so it's it's pretty much ready now. How do you resist um, the temptation not to put that into a blender and then just throw it over some pasta? You know that what, I don't. So... I, I, I quite often do that with this. I will eat some of it in the way we're going to eat it now and then quite often the rest goes in a blender. But also this oil, obviously, um, 
uh, that's a shitload of oil. Is I was going to okay? say, that is a, a lot of, <laughs> is it olive oil? It's, it's a lot of olive oil. But what is, so I don't really salt the tomatoes, which means the oil keeps and then ah. I can use it for lots and lots and lots of things. Is it the salt? If you'd salted that oil, would it then become unreusable? Because it, does it make it less healthy or it doesn't no, work? No, it's as just well? not great for using again. Like if I was just going <coughs> to use it cold, it'd be fine. But if I was going to use it to heat it up, having the salt in it isn't great. So we'll eat those tomatoes, but then I'll save that oil in the fridge mm. and then that will become part of our kind of dinners all week. Oh, but you don't just keep it as like, this is for when I comfy again. You can use no, it for whatever. No, 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 no. That, that oil now, because the tomatoes are sat in it, the garlic sat in it. The coriander seeds the coriander are sat in it. So it's, sat in it. So right? it's got this, it, you know, it takes on the sweetness of the tomatoes and it becomes this kind of like, wow. you know, this sort of thing that you would be very happy to bathe in. You know, oh, it's, you could... <laughs> it's, it's really, it's really, really quite delicious. So, um, so yeah, you have to start an olive oil company and call it Happy to Bathe. Happy in. to Bathe. <laughs> <laughs> only sell it in really large quantities. Yeah, yeah exactly. You can only buy this in twenty-four <laughs> liter. Um, yeah, you parts. can do a down payment um, and pay me the rest yeah, of the four thousand yeah, yeah. over the year, and but bath time will never be the same again. Yeah. So that looks really stunning, by the way. Aww. I mean, but particularly, you know, this is this is you just proving right in front of me this thing about color. You yeah, know, just looking at that, and that's kind of all my sort of taste buds start tingling because that's yeah. we've got orange, we've got red, we've got green, we've got that nice kind of murky olive oil green around the edge. That's fantastic. And what are you going to do with these? Are you just going to so, serve them out of the green, or have you got further we, plans with the well, roasted? Well, I do lots of things with these, so I probably make a batch of these every couple of weeks, and sometimes it does just turn into a tomato sauce, and we you know, put it with pappardelle, and quite, my favorite with that is pappardelle, and then crispy capers, so I'm okay. sure you guys have made I those before. I love a caper. But capers fried in a bit of- I don't my capers. So, so just a bit of olive oil, as if you were, you know, shallow frying them, so you need a bit in the bottom of a pan. Right, right, right. And then the capers. Drained out of brine. Drained out of brine. So it's so like packed and dry. Like pat and dry, but you don't need to go okay. crazy, but they will, obviously, because there's a lot of water in they'll spit, so you need to stand back. So the capers go in, and you just leave them until they kind of um, crisp and open up. And the capers kind of open up like little flowers. It's very beautiful, actually. And, um, and uh, they still have that kind of really pecan, really oh, sort of vinegary situation, but they also have like this crazy crunchy texture. We can do some actually to go on top of the tomatoes, but there, it's we we had it at our wedding actually. We had a tomato tart tatan with tomatoes, not dissimilar to that, and then these crazy crispy capers on top. And I yeah, I have very very fond memories of that. So anyway, here we're back to the corn. So we've yep. got the corn. It's kind of lost its rawness. Um, mm -hmm. And this is all kind of laid out on a kind of. LP-sized sort of platter bowl, <laughs> nicely kind of spread out. We're going to get a bit of salt over the top. I love your LP, LP reference. Well, basically, I, you know, it, it, I have to try and describe it as best as possible <laughs> to feed people's kind of oral appetite. Yeah, um, and then this is going to be the kind of dressing, what kind of makes, you know, Yeah, this so this is kind of a salsa, sick. isn't it, really? So mm. we've got this, uh, the, the finely chopped shallot that's been softened mm. in the lime juice, it's had a bit of seasoning, mixed with our um, tiny, sweet, yeah. pickled chilies. Yeah, and then we're going to add some oil, and I'm actually going to add a bit of yogurt to what this as well. What kind of oil is going This on is a French oil. It's an extra virgin. Right. Um, I've got, yeah, I usually have a few oils on the go, but that's because I'm 
me, but I used all of my more basic oil. I basically poured this entire bottle into, into the there. tomatoes. Yeah. So we're using, using the more fancy oil. This is like an unfiltered oil, um, which is delicious, but it's definitely got, it's got a, a bit more grassy of a, a bite grassy and a bit more of a bitter kick that I just don't really don't really want here. So You want to um, keep... It's funny that there's... So we've got sweetness from the corn. We've also got sweetness from the... Yeah. Uh, from the pickled chilies. There's probably some sweetness from that um, sort of marinated shallot as well. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. And is all of that, is that sort of deliberate intensification of that I, 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 sweetener? I would, I would prefer the, I would prefer those chilies to be a bit more pickly, if I'm honest. Right. I think we're going to really cross continents here and okay. use a bit of this, this, Can like, I see it's what like, that is, please? black kind of earth chilli. Ooh, um, so which, this is what a, purports to be a tin of Kurdish black pepper. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's like, you know, um, like Aleppo pepper. So it's got that chilli hit, but it's not as... I know you're a real chilli fan. I don't like, like, burning crazy hot chilli. Um, it's also... Because I, I don't normally associate black pepper with heat particularly. Well, this, you is, know what I mean? this is black chilli. It's like oh. a smoked black chilli, basically. Um, which is also in a tin that's incredibly hard to open, which is convenient. Uh, that's, um, um, uh, it's just adding to the authenticity yeah, of the whole so experience. Yeah, yeah. Clearly um, this just, you know... But yeah, here, try some. It's kind of smoky, it's got lots of different... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, I mean, it's not a dissimilar smell to like... Um, uh, uh, to like a dried Mexican chilli. Yeah, exactly. One of the biggest, sweeter ones that begins yeah. with A that I can't remember the name of, but... Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, can I... Can I Dip in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. I'm actually going to put. Oh, some... you know what? It's it's yeah. It's soft. It's like um. It's like powdered chili flakes. Yeah, that's why. It's... Well, it is powdered chili flake. It's been salted as well. Taste that. That's really salty. I mean, it's delicious, but it has got some salt. Yeah. I wonder if it's that's almost still... like sumac-y, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's delicious. It's like halfway between a kind of sumac and. <coughs> you could a... basically, you could carry that around. And if yeah. you wanted salt and pepper, you can yeah. just use that. That's lovely. That's a great shout. I do have actually a little, I do carry around a little tiny, tiny tin of Welsh salt with me. <laughs> well, who doesn't? Most of I the mean... time, you know? <laughs> well, you know, um, the, the, the kind of like urban myth about Nigella, which apparently is true, that she carries a tube of Coleman's mustard in her handbag at all times. Right. So... I've got a friend who always carries a tin of anchovies in her handbag. She is, you know, just in case she needs to kind of add some yeah. umami. I heard Tom, I heard <laughs> Tom Parker Bowles has written about travelling with one of the, always with those tiny bottles of Tabasco. Yes. Faye Mashler apparently also never without a small bottle of Tabasco. Really? Yeah. How do we feel about Tabasco? Um, as, now, as a chili lover, is it your? Would it be your kind of preferred chili sauce? No, but only because uh, I've kind of graduated to sort of slightly higher levels of of heat, and I've started to like things where people are really people are really you know people Gone have been working it, yeah. on hot sauce like it's a cure for cancer yeah, like yeah, for the last yeah, ten yeah, years, yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. getting really good at it, right? Yeah. And my current favourite is a thing called Jock's hot sauce. Oh. which is made by a bunch of folk musicians in Scotland that oh. do something off-season where they make their yeah. own sauce. But it's got smoked uh, garlic and roasted habaneros in it. Oh, um, yeah. And so that's my current... current. Tabasco's fine. Like, I would want that in my Bloody Mary. Yeah. And if there's nothing else, you know, in your breakfast you're eggs good, or whatever, then... You're good then with it, it, yeah. 
I sort of admire it more as a kind of business than a source. Yeah. Because if you can make something where every single food establishment, from the tiniest to the most prestigious, we'll cannot open yeah. without having a bottle on the shelf, and you manage to get it into every pub and bar as well, that is a stroke of and, genius. And there's also not the kind of snobbery around it than there is around like ketchup or if you're perhaps yeah. to ask for some like mayo or whatever yeah, else. Yeah, 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 like yeah, if yeah. you ask for Tabasco, people are like, Right, yeah, 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 you can have some Tabasco, Fair go enough. for it. He yeah. likes chilli or she likes chilli. But yeah, try um, asking for salad cream in La Gavroche yeah. and see yeah. how far you get. I wonder if Tabasco in La Gavroche, I feel like that that might be one of one of the exceptions I to the rule. I guarantee you there's a bottle of Tabasco in the kitchen at La Gavroche. And if there's not, then there's one behind the bar. Yeah. Um, but we're not advertising Tabasco here. Um. Much as we'd like to, <laughs> unless they want to send us all a crate or invite us out to Louisiana to the oh, chili yeah. farm, in which case I'll come, we'll go. I'll come on that. Yeah, yeah, you'll surely get involved that, with that Surely brand. that's a deal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we've got it. yeah, you brought if, it up. If there's a podcast in that goes out there, I'm in. Um, so I've just put the dressing yeah, so, onto the corn, So basically. we've got the yogurt and the shallot uh, and the olive oil uh, kind of salsary dressing mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. That's been poured over the corner. A whole lime zest has been added to that oh, as well. Yeah, and I'm not... And our Kurdish... Uh, delicious smoky black pepper mm. flakes. Which is actually really nice. I think They're I'm going to go for yeah. a bit more. Um, and I think I'm going to add a bit more lime just because it doesn't, the acidity of those peppers that wasn't quite, those pickled peppers wasn't yeah, yeah, quite you as acidic a little more, um, as little I wanted. Bite. So let's go with that. And then we'll throw a load of coriander on top. Okay. So we're chopping up coriander to scatter over this salad. We're chopping some up, and then I'll have some big bits as well, I think, um, just for a bit of double texture. So timeline-wise, you're going all over the place, you're styling things for TV, you're styling things for magazines, there's this growing team. You're in the hot seat, right, of one of the, probably like a really big, like, food media revolution in the UK. Everyone starts watching, everyone starts buying cookbooks like there's no tomorrow. And um, Jamie becomes ever more, uh, you know, high profile and, 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 and ever more recognisable and gets ever more involved with the, you know, the, the social enterprise and all the rest of it. Yeah. What point were you like, I want to do my own thing? And was it, was it the writing? What, what was the trigger to kind of go out on your own? Yeah, I think I always had, in my head, I kind of always sort of, I think I always had the ambition to do this. Like, I... I used to love cooking shows when I was little. I used to like do like, you know, cookery demos to kind of literally to the pot plants at home. <laughs> I just kind of like, I loved it. And, you know, I, I, it didn't always feel like an obvious path. It, path. it didn't always feel like part of my plan. Um, but I think when I got to Jamie's, you know, I, you know, I, I knew that I, I, I could... You know, I, I had something to say myself, basically. Right. Um, I just didn't know exactly what it was or how that would kind of happen. Um, but then when I decided to go vegetarian, or which was about a lot of years ago now, like probably, yeah, 12 years ago, okay. um, I it kind of all just came sort of, flowing out of me because I felt like the vegetarian food I wanted to eat and I was cooking at home wasn't out there just didn't really exist like in the cookbooks I was reading it didn't exist in the restaurants I was going to um it didn't 
Um, you know, there were a few blogs at the time back in the world of, you know, when actual people did actual blogging. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> Geocities forward slash, like... <laughs> Yeah, lonely exactly. vegetarians. Exactly, lonely vegetarians in my space. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it felt like th that it wasn't there and I really felt excited about the food I was cooking um, and, and the way I was cooking. And, you know, then it just felt very much like it was something I'd like to share. And then, again, it, you know, I, I, I was lucky enough to have some opportunities, basically Innocent, you know, the big smoothie company. Um, they approached me um, through a friend to write a book for them, all about family food, which still is around. Um, oh, nice. It's called, it's called Hungry. I don't think it's even in, really in print anymore, but there's still copies of it kicking around. And it was, how just, did, was that? Did you get that with like a bumper pack of smoothies? Or like, how did it get out of there? <laughs> um, it, it, it was just for sale. Oh, okay, it was, but it, innocent. It, it, it was published by my now publisher, um, and innocent. You know, it was it was just a thing they wanted to do. Right, okay. You know, sort of. I guess it, it kind of just bolstered their message of you know five a day and getting veg and fruit yeah, and yeah. kids. So anyway, it was this lovely project, lovely book, lovely bunch of creative people there at the time before it was bought by a large conglomerate that will remain nameless. Um, Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I love that. I just line up and then you... Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, it's yeah. all on me. Don't worry. <laughs> Legally speaking, good, please. Good, we'll do a good sue cop, me bad first. cop. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's not untrue. No, 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 no. <laughs> Absolutely. And... Um, and then from there, I, I, I wrote the book for them and then... Did that start the relationship with the publisher? You were like, I've got a lot more to say, will well, you let me say it? Well, they asked me, actually. Well, there you go. Which was, which, was, which was great. They sort of said, I think, you've done a great job with this and how do you feel about writing some of the stuff that you are kicking for yourself? And I was like, yep, done. Um, and, you know, so, so I've, I've been very lucky in terms of, you know, the opportunities have come you know, have come my way quite organically, which is which is great. But also I think, you know, I've worked hard and I've kind of backed myself and, you know, tried to kind of like put myself in in scary positions and I, you know, and ask people that I respected if I could help them and, you know, whatever. So anyway, I forgot where we were in the timeline. It's okay. <laughs> but I, I would imagine, having met a few people now who've done books... Yeah. Um, and would it be right to think that most people just really don't understand just exactly how long it takes and how much work it takes to craft something, not only that you're going to be happy with, yeah. but that has a reasonable chance of, of, of being a hit. It's a very crowded, it's a very difficult space. Everybody wants something new like every year. Yeah. I mean, how have you found that you're sort of, skill at being a cookbook author, for want of a better description. <laughs> yeah. How's, how's your perception of that whole thing changed since from when, from when you began to where you are now? I think it has. I think I've, you know, I've worked on a lot of cookbooks, both for Jamie Oliver and mm. then when I, you know, work kind of freelance. Um, so I'm kind of hyper aware of the amount of cookbooks mm. out there. And, you know, not all the... Jamie's cookbooks, obviously, I think are brilliant, but not all the cookbooks I've worked on, I, I have genuinely felt have been something that is adding to the conversation, that right. is something that needs to exist. Mm. Um, so like, this I've, wouldn't exist if you weren't... Have you hadn't rushed out a television series? Exactly, And yeah, the publisher yeah, yeah. was waving Some a check those, under your nose, yeah, for example. Yeah, and, so, you know, I've... 
even worked on books where, you know, the recipes didn't work. So I Googled the recipes and then I was finding the recipe existing on some other website, you know, yeah. one or two ingredients changed. And it felt like there was a time where publishers were just so keen to get cookbooks out because right. it was the thing that was selling that, you know, perhaps there wasn't, you know, the integrity around, you know, making sure that they were the thing that they, you know, needed to be. So anyway, yeah. all I'm saying is that I <laughs> have, um, you know, I'm hyper aware that every book I write or I bring to the party, I want it to do something different. Mm. I want it to add something to the conversation because otherwise, yeah, you know, what's the point? Yeah. Um, so, we are, we've got, are we, is this basically finished? This is basically finished. So we're okay. just going to do the, we're going to do the tomatoes now. I'm just checking that I'm not going to absolutely burn the shit out of my okay. hands. Um, so our tomatoes, our tomatoes, the tomatoes have cooled. Yeah. Um, and are you um, going to take them out of the oil yeah, and we're gonna, them up? Yeah, we're going to serve it with some yoghurt, actually, because we've got these still warm tomatoes, mm. then we've got this very kind of cold, um, salted yoghurt, and I'm going to do a... Sorry, yeah. I'm going to do a very... Oh, what is that? Is that a hair? It's a hair. I'm going to say that's a beard hair, and I'm going to blame Steve, the photographer, for depositing I don't think it is, Steve. beard hair beard in the yoga. Your beard isn't, isn't long enough. Um, let's just pretend that didn't happen. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just going to put the yoga on here and, you know, style it up. Kind of smooth it around the plate. There's something quite satisfying about this. It feels a bit like, you know, when you're icing, I don't know. How often you ice cakes, but Very yeah, when you're icing a cake and it's that thing of like the swirling is so satisfying and you can almost not stop because you know every yeah, it's just painting nice patterns. Yeah, it? exactly. It is. It's like art. There's, there's there's definitely an element of it that is art. And then I I'm just going to pop some tomatoes and oil on top and then some more herbs. So I've used yogurt twice here, yeah. but yogurt is something. I use a lot actually in cooking. I feel like it brings like a, you know, I think we always think about acidity as the kind of, yeah, as the kind of lemon mm. vinegar. And I think we often forget about the kind of acidity of things like, you know, dairy and feta and those kind of things. Oh, feta so, is basically used like seasoning yeah, in, in my yeah, house. Yeah. It's the world's, one of the world's greatest cheeses. It is, a, it is a great, great cheese. And I think, yeah. My, a friend of mine who's another chef called Ellie Kirshen, who lives in Bristol, she has a McDonald's hack that I have thought about trying, which is for hangovers. And it is a McDonald's vanilla milkshake. Milkshake? Yeah. Milkshake. Milkshake. Um, <laughs> a McDonald's vanilla milkshake. A McDonald's vanilla milkshake with a quadruple espresso in. What turns it into a coffee milkshake? And I have to say that I could. That I is could an get... affogato for yeah, cowards, yeah. is what yeah. that is. <laughs> I did not approve of that at all. I feel like with a hangover, I could get on board with that, you know? Well, again, not to keep bringing it up, but when we talked to Rav the other week, she was like, you've got to dip the hot apple pie into the McFlurry. It's Whoa. a game changer. Yeah, you Her know words, what? not mine. I could go for that. And, and I think actually the. Because I'm, I don't know if I'm no. down with any of the... I think both of those things are an absolute fucking travesty, frankly, and I don't encourage anybody to do them, but, <laughs> you know, each to their own. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Here we are. are. We ready? I'm going to so get the wine bread. out. Yeah, let's do it. It's actually in the freezer, so I hope it hasn't um, actually physically frozen. Okay. It's up here. Okay. There's a double. Oh, no, that perfect. looks very... That looks perfect. That looks very good. Okay, so this is the bit where we basically... We brought, we bring all of our guests a bottle of wine because we, yeah, we were told what you were going to cook in advance. So we tried to pick something that we think will match, and we tried to pick something that feels appropriate yeah. for the guest. So this is very local. This is a pet nat. I don't know what that means. I think it means naturally sparkling rather than being fermented with champagnes. Yeah. And this is from Davenport Vineyard, which is Ooh. in. Limney Farm in East Sussex. Oh, wow. And so this is somebody, like the winemaking around where I live is going crazy. Yeah. They're buying, like, Tattinger and Krug and everyone are buying vineyards and yeah. Kent and Sussex and, and Hampshire. And Sussex, yeah. But this is a guy, apparently, who's really kind of making it, you know, um, like one batch at a time, very low intervention. And it's got Bacchus grapes and it's got wow. um, Pinot grapes in it and stuff like that. So we chose it because... We knew there was going to be sweetness. We knew there was going to be acidity. And, you know, I didn't feel like it was right to sort of bring you something that was flown all the way from, from Turkey or yeah. something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, this is an Australian vine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just a bottle of um, uh, yellowtail from the news agents around <laughs> the corner. Um, do you have a beer yeah, bottle opener? Yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. a beer bottle cap well, you on it. You basically just pay, pretty much describe... But I love these pet nat wines. It's okay. my so this will be my first dream. pet nat, I think. Really, let's get some glasses. Let's get some um, glasses. And, but yeah, I mean, I think people. I started drinking a Bacchus from um, Nutbourne Vineyards in East Sussex. Yeah. And because some of the early English wines, and they all the producers would be really annoyed when they hear this, but at the beginning there was some real hit and miss oh, English wine. Oh, there was wine. some real. This is yeah, like this yeah. tastes like a rotten gooseberry. Like this is absolutely. Do you want to pour the wine? I feel like okay. you, you should pour it. You should pour I it. I want to try and do that San Sebastian thing where you can get more fizz from the pour, but I'll make a terrible oh, mess. I don't know about that thing. Yeah, have you not seen when they pour that. the cider in Basque Country? Oh yeah, I have. But I just... and they and they kind of go like the bottle raises really high up. There's a thing they do. Oh, look at that. I've messed that right up. Uh, <laughs> that looks like a fucking vanilla milkshake with a quadruple espresso in it is what that looks like. There we go. I'll take that one for me. Have you not seen that thing? So they pour the cider in Basque Country and they pour it onto the lip of the glass. And, the, and as the cider hits the lip of the glass, it aerates. Oh, my God. And you very precise. So you don't waste it, but it just tumbles oh, over the lip. And you get like that much at a time. I would Crazy. be really bad at that. That yeah, would be, too. I would just pour cider all over people. <laughs> I had a waitressing job. I haven't done that I, since my 20s. I knocked an entire bottle of red wine over a lady who was on a first date in a white outfit, and that was a real... Wow. That was a real low moment. Yeah. Now they're married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you I, got fired. They didn't keep in touch. <laughs> Let's just say yeah. that. You're a waitress. <laughs> I, was a, I was a waitress at, um, at Pizza Express, yeah. Ooh. All through my... It was just the local like, restaurant all through my kind of like... Which part of the country? Um, Kingston, if you know that. It's just in Surrey, Kingston. Not, 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 the, not the Prince Andrew one? No, Woking. Thankfully <laughs> <laughs> not. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, I don't think anyone who worked at there is ever going to admit to working to that there, are they? No, that's because um, they've all been killed. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just dishing out the wine to Thank everyone. And they this. haven't all been killed. Um, so... You can be very honest about this because then we're not sponsored by the wine shop or anything. So if it genuinely does taste like rotten gooseberries, you can say so. 
but it doesn't. It is very chilled. It's a very good summer drink. That is delicious. Delicious, yeah. Um, shall we eat? Yeah, let's do let's it. Let's eat. And this and like so, thank you so much for making oh, this. This looks course. absolutely fantastic. Mm. I need to cut up some bread to kind of dip in okay. because that it's not my own bread. I'm sorry, guys. You know what? I mean, if pandemic has taught me anything, like fuck making your own sourdough, I just cannot be asked. <laughs> I don't want to work for the bread. Okay, the bread's supposed to work. For me. I think if you The balance live... of power is the wrong way around yeah, in the sourdough yeah, yeah, relationship. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think there are, you know, there are instances. Some people just absolutely love doing it. Some people also... I feel like I might toast this. I feel like we need okay. to toast this. Um, uh, I feel like you're right. The balance of power is wild. Um, you know, uh, Max Pallet, you know, Max's sandwich shop. Have you heard of that guy? Yeah, I have. I've never met him, but I've... You know, his so sandwiches seem... His anti-sourdough rent fit with absolute joy. Really? He's like, it's too chewy, it takes too long to make, it's terrible for sandwiches, everything falls out of it, it makes my mouth hurt when I eat it. Focaccia is the way to go. <laughs> and all of Max's sandwiches are focaccia, focaccia sliced yeah. in half. It soaks up the juice, it's easy to make. Um, I mean, I, I hear where he's coming from. I'm kind of with you. I feel like if you live... I mean, I feel like... There was a time when I really enjoyed the process of sourdough. I enjoyed the kind of like back and forth. But it, it requires you hmm. to be someone who is at home all day. Yeah. Right? It requires well, I you... I was at home all day and it's still too difficult. <laughs> it's like, I, just, I had like five alarms on my yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this thing that smells like wallpaper paste that's like bubbling away in the downstairs yeah, toilet. Yeah. And then every other day someone would kick it over and I'd have to mm. forget it. It's only a loaf of bread. And also, like, we are, like, in most of the cities and actually in lots of the local towns now around this yeah. country, there are incredible bakers exactly. who is exactly. great support. Anyone so. who's making so their I'm own sourdough you. right now, I'm going to yeah. say it on this podcast, is anti-baker. <laughs> um, so, can I do anything? No. no. I'm just so going to toast, some bread just toast the, a bit of bread. Dry toasting some bread in the pan. In a pan. Cool. Um, and let's eat. Let's get some plates. Should, should we, we just make some space? Should we just gather around here? Do you want to sit yeah, around no, the table? Yeah, no, let's gather around here and not um, try and eat over Thomas's recording equipment. Yeah, that's probably a good idea, right? Um, so, now that you've been lifted into the kind of... into the upper echelons of food media, now that you're up there, <laughs> right, don't pretend that you're not, because I've seen you on camera with Stanley Tucci, right, <laughs> casually talking about Italian cuisine. <laughs> And trying not to, you know, lean in too closely and smell him. <laughs> I bet he smells amazing, no, that, by the no, way. No, that was my auntie's. He came to work. So, so the connection with Stanley Tucci is my really lovely agent, Felicity, is married to him. So, ah. so, so, so there's a connection in that sense. And, um, you know, obviously, whoa. Great. Very professional burning of the bread there. Oh, no, 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 it's a, um, it's a charring. We're calling it a charring. A charring. Also, like this is sometimes, like my panic style of cooking, I'm quite impatient. So sometimes I'll just turn the heat up to maximum and then, yeah. you know, Forget about it. start chatting. Yeah. Um, so... Well, yeah, I, my, so, my so, question was going to be, so have you, has it allowed you to meet some of your heroes, this position that you find It has, there? but that particular situation was 
with my lovely agent Felicity, he came to a book launch. Oh. My aunties were there, and I don't think he even knows this, but I turned round and saw three of my aunties smell, like getting in really close to smell him. And I was a bit like, um, guys, like having an internal panic attack, yeah. but kind of like didn't want to um, raise the alarm because I was hoping that it would sort of go You didn't unnoticed. want to say at the top of your lungs, stop smelling Stop Stanley. smelling Stanley. <laughs> um, luckily, I don't think, I don't think he noticed. Um, More importantly, so, did they tell you what does he smell like? You know, I just, I, 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 I'll text them later and ask because... I, if know. I had to guess, and I've thought about this a lot, I think a little bit of bay, a touch of vermouth. Yeah, yeah. And maybe just the lightest dusting of icing sugar. Yeah, maybe. But I think there'd probably be some kind of... Um, I, I know he cooks He cooks mm. a lot, so maybe there'd be like a little bit of kind of, you know... An earthier note, maybe? An earthier note. Like maybe, a roasted garlic. Yeah, maybe some like juniper berry or juniper. something, you know? Definitely. It's got to be something, you know, sort of... An anchoring Tucci the fragrance. Tone. Tucci the fragrance has bay, little Negroni, <laughs> juniper berries, maybe a hint of black pepper. I mean, I think we should probably get in touch. We've yeah. kind of done the work for him, haven't we here? <laughs> I mean, let's do it. We've got to do it. And now that you're kind of in this position. Yeah. Is it difficult to decide kind of what you want to do next? I'm sure you're getting offers that are kind of more kind of media related. I'm sure, you know, you have thought about or people have thought about on your behalf whether or not you should have a show or whether or not you should open bricks and mortar or you could potentially go in any of those directions if you wanted to. What do you want to do? Well, yeah, I mean... You know what, I don't really think about it too much. No? I think, think to me, there's something about thinking about it too much that almost jinxes where I am now. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel very, not to sound like an idiot, because I've already said it, but I feel very grateful that this yeah. is my job and this is what I get to do. And so, in some senses, like, that urgency and that kind of, like, panic to, like, always be on the next thing. Yeah. It's definitely something I felt when I was kind of, like, starting out and I was doing my first couple of books and that self-comparison with other yeah. chefs and other people. Um, but I think in the last couple of years, I just, you know, I've been trying to focus a bit more on like, wow, this is actually, this is actually cool. I love writing these books. I love putting yeah. them out into the world. And, and, and that kind of like, I'm really like honing in on like, do, like, do I do these other, do I have to have an all encompassing kind of like, yeah you know, situation where I'm doing all the things. You feel I, a bit happier now that you've turned the heat down on the hustle side of it? I think, yeah, that's exactly that. That is it in a nutshell, because I feel like there is a feeling to like, you know, you should do a podcast, you should do this, you should do that, you should do that. No, Don't do that. a podcast, okay? <laughs> Listen, Christ, it's crowded enough. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I don't... It, 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 I, I think the wonderful, you know multi kind of faceted nature of lots of our careers these days means that sometimes we feel that we must be doing it all together rather than just really honing in on one thing and making that making that great right and i think that's what i've come you know to peace a bit more with over the last couple of years i'm going to say something very presumptive because i don't know you and we yeah. just met today yeah but i don't it doesn't seem to me like that you'd be happy 
you know, behind the pass. You know what I mean? Like running somewhere and feeding people and having the overheads and the restaurant bills and your dishwasher oh breaks. Oh my God, you know, no, 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 no. Nor do I particularly see you, not that it's any of my business, yeah. you know, with your face on a sort of label of, uh, on a spice label yeah. and sort of punting, you know, yeah. a, your version of like Lloyd Grossman's pasta sauces or whatever. I don't really yeah. get that vibe from you either. What, like, would you... But I do think you'd be really comfortable or you would seem really, really comfortable kind of on camera cooking and talking to people or talking to producers or there must be a temptation to be able to tell this story about produce and about ingredients and about sustainability and all that other kind of stuff through the medium of television. It's a really powerful way to do that. I think you're right, definitely, about the restaurant thing and um, the product thing. Like, I really feel like to keep to keep the kind of, like, essence of what I do, like, it has to be me that does it. Yeah. And it has to be, you know, I have a couple of people who help me with the things I'm really shit at, like websites and whatever yeah, yeah. else. But I feel like, it ha- you know, and, and, and the moment it ceases to become that, and I think when you, you know, extend things out into... And also, I'm just, you know, restaurants are just not my scene. I'm very bad at, um, <laughs> I'm very bad at, like, taking, I've always been quite bad at, like, taking orders yeah. and that kind of hierarchy. It just doesn't, yeah. cooking in that environment doesn't feel yeah, right yeah. to me. It's like, um, you're always right, not the customer. So yeah, get yeah. Out. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it, it never felt right. But I think the, 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 the kind of film thing definitely does feel like something I would love to do. It's something I have explored and Quite often, you know, it's come back with, you know, it's, you know, vegetarian. Definitely a few years ago, vegetarian and veganism felt too niche to put on TV. And, you know, I feel very strongly that that is not the case if you actually look at how people are eating. Yes, you know, the amount of vegetarians and vegans, you know, is not going up, you know, by crazy numbers. It's pretty steady and it is going up. up. But it also is is the people like... You know, perhaps you guys, I don't know exactly how you all eat, but, you know, I would assume that most people within their families are eating a couple more meals made of plants. Um, This tomato, this comfy tomato. So what I like about this is that... Give me a little fork, because they're knife, because they're quite hard to... uh... But this doesn't taste... This still tastes really like fresh tomato to me. Mm. The comfy hasn't taken... You know, it doesn't taste like a kind of three-hour passata where yeah. all that freshness has disappeared. Well, I think... And the yoghurt kind of lifts that acidic note of the tomato really nicely. Mm. And you should try some of this oil. I feel like I should... Mm. Yeah. Squish in the garlic. So put no, the I'm oil gonna, on it. Over my not homemade sourdough bread, <laughs> I'm going to put this tomato confit oil... I'm glad you said that because I was a bit like, God, maybe I should have made bread. <laughs> and so what I wanted to ask mm. was that you've been kind of in the game for a long time. You see what I mean? Mm. And do you see the book industry kind of changing? I, mean, I, know from, I know a couple of people in publishing. One of the reasons why cookbooks are so popular is to put the economics of it quite nakedly. It's really hard to sell hardback. Yeah. Of anything else. Yeah. And hardback yeah, yeah. is a massive profit margin. Yeah. Compared to a paperback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can't, you know, you might, you know, a really big literary novel might get a short 
distinguished hardback book, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's still going to make its money off the paperback yeah. and then maybe off the film or mm-hmm. the TV rights. The, publishing is hard, mm-hmm. but cookbooks are great because you have to buy the hardback. Mm-hmm. It's big. You're going to keep it in the kitchen. It's got to last. And you can put all the publisher flourishes on it. Mm-hmm. You can put the ribbon and you can put the spine mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. put the gold leaf mm-hmm. and all that other kind of stuff. You can make it a lush object mm-hmm. thing to own. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that has really survived. Yeah. Digitization. Yeah, right? You can't yeah. get your, I mean, maybe you can get your cookbook on a Kindle, but nobody wants yeah, it on a Kindle yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. way. Right? Do you see a future for that still? Do you still think people are going to want to buy those things? I think, five years I think it's one of the few kind of analog things that, that is kind of irreplaceable. It's just, you know, I'm not a super techie person, hmm. but. I, I, you know, I cook a lot, I follow recipes a lot, I retest following my own recipes an enormous amount, and I know that the ergonomics of cooking from a device... It's hard. It's just hard, it just doesn't work. I know there's, you know, there's fridges and ovens now that have, like, you know, (laughs) basically kind of like an iPad screen in them so you can have it, you know, sitting in the corner of your kitchen. And I'm sure there will be a time in which technology, you know, takes over and transcends you know, the awkwardness of cooking at the moment. But it's not there yet. And I think until we have kind of like internal microchips in our brains, which project the pages of cookery books into our direct sight, that, you know, which hopefully might be a while. (laughs) Um, uh, I I think people are going to want a cookbook. Because I think food is so, so, you know, without sounding like Nigella, sensual, it's so you know, it's so tactile, it's so visceral that, you know, you need something to kind of touch and feel when it comes to food. I think it's just that, it's just that anchoring thing. Um, And, you know, it's, yeah, I, so, so I'm going to say that, aren't, aren't course, I? Like that, yeah. that it's what I do, but I, I also just don't, as a cook, as a cook, as a reader, I need the books. I don't, I can't. And is there, an, is there another cookbook on the way? Have you got another um, cookbook in you? Uh, I've got an idea for something um, which is kind of based around, uh, which I feel like is a sort of an extension of some of the things that I've done before, like um, uh, the, you know, kind of playing around with, you know, in some of my books, these kind of mind map, sort of choose-your-own-adventure kind of recipes that open up cooking in a kind of, you know, in a quite sort of, in a more fluid way rather than having to follow a recipe. Showing people how to cook more instinctively. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's there's definitely something around that that I, I feel like um, would be good to explore. But I think all good cookbook authors, eventually you're doing yourself out of a job because, you know, if you give people enough, information if you inform them enough you educate them enough like off to the races whatever's intention you know my (laughs) intention with the recipes is like you know i don't want people to follow my recipes i want them to like use that as a springboard or cook the recipe once and then be like well i hated those pickled chilies so i'm doing something else yeah i'm gonna put you know you want the people to have agency and that's what that's what the writing kind of hope for writing the pictures and whatever hopefully brings out so I mean my favorite line ever of Nigel Slater's from a strong strong list is I think it's in appetite and it's Mm. an introductory thing and he says look I've put some of my favorite things in here I've been cooking them forever Mm. but here's but here's the most important thing try it but do what you want and Mm. it's your dinner 
exactly. That. And I, when I first read that, mm. I was like, oh, okay. Mm. I can do what I want now. Mm. If mm. I don't like his mash or like it needs more mustard or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, dude, go. Yeah. I'm not there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know not, you're, not, you're not cooking to please anyone but yourself. And I think that's, or your family, obviously, with, you know, children well, running yeah. around, you are sometimes <laughs> cooking to please them. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's the key thing. And I think, you know, all of the, the information around all of the kind of conversation around food, around nutrition, around all of those things has sort of turned us into perfectionists. And I think in some ways we've lost that, lost that gut instinct of like, firstly, what is good for us and makes our body feel good. But secondly, what we just really want to eat and we really love to eat. And I think it's those things that, you know, if we follow those, if we drive, if we cook for ourselves, then I don't think any of the problems will, you know, exist. I think the reason is, is that we've kind of lost that instinct a bit. But anyway. No, um, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, the drive to kind of turn people on to the power of being able to cook a few, even if it's just a few things, mm. just for themselves that genuinely make them feel good in all of the ways that that means. Mm. It feels mm. good to make it, it feels good to eat it, it feels good after you've eaten it, it feels good the next yeah. day, yeah, you feel, feel better good. than you did the mm -hmm. day. Then um, what better reason to be mm. doing it? Mm. Um, and, you know, you have fed us exceptionally well today. <laughs> you've been an, an incredible host and uh, so it only remains for me to say thank you very much for having oh, us. Thank I you very much for cooking for here. us. And thanks for being on the Reading Bone podcast. Oh. We've loved it. Oh, well, I've loved having you here. It's just, it's a joy to have people in my kitchen and, <laughs> and cook and cook. So, yeah. Thank, thank you. you. We had a sun-filled kitchen. We had plates groaning with a rainbow of flavours and we had just a touch of celebrity gossip. So it was a perfect lunch. Thank you, Anna. As we mentioned up top, Anna's latest book one is out now in all good bookstores and you can get recipes, including that blackened corn salad that we ate. You can get videos, you can get information about her cooking courses, all of that at annajones.co.uk. If you'd like to buy some of that pet nat wine we were drinking, it's called Davenport and you can order it at palletbottleshop.com. As usual, please let us know what you think of the podcast at Root and Bone on all of our social channels. Thanks again to Anna for having us. Thanks to Thomas for production help. Thanks to Steve for the pictures and to you for listening. See you next time. <laughs>